Welcome to the Living by Faith podcast. My name is Josh DeGroat, and you are tuning in for episode number 12. Thanks for listening. This is a podcast where we look at current news and events, theology and history, and we look at all these things from the perspective of the Christian's life of faith in Christ. Let's jump in. What would Jesus do? Have you ever heard that phrase before? I'm sure you have. Well, recently, this question of what would Jesus do has been employed to help us think about what Jesus would do in regards to face masks. Would Jesus wear a face mask? Well, this question has been asked and answered by many. And their answer, or I should say the answer of many who are asking this question publicly, the answer for many of them is a resounding yes. Jesus would wear a face mask in light of COVID-19. And he would wear one because it's the loving thing to do. It's the selfless thing to do. We're told that even though face masks are uncomfortable and annoying and inconvenient and all the rest, Jesus would wear, wear one because it's the loving thing to do and we should do the same. Love requires sacrifice and it is the least thing we can do in order to save lives. That's how the argument goes. Now, before I get into my response to this, I want to say that I at the outset that I don't believe it's wrong to wear a mask, a face mask. I'm certainly not on some kind of crusade to trumpet the inherent sinfulness of wearing masks. And I don't begrudge companies and businesses requiring masks because in some cases they're doing that just so they can keep their doors open. And if I had to go to Costco or Sam's Club, I think Sam's Club next starting next Monday, uh, which require masks to go into their stores, I would wear one and I would do so without putting up a stink at all. My problem is twofold. One is that mask wearing is being held up as the pinnacle of virtue. With this COVID-19, this sickness, this virus, and the panic in regards to it, uh, mask wearing is now being held up as as one of the most virtuous things to show that you are a virtuous person. This is the signal that you are a loving person. You are loving your neighbor by wearing a mask. And we know, or at least we're told, we know that Jesus would do the same thing. Loving your neighbor apparently now means wearing masks and staying away from them. Even if you're healthy and they're healthy, this is neighbor love, apparently. And uh, I hope that sounds somewhat strange to you because for the Christian, that is strange. The second thing that really concerns me about this, however, is that, the, is that it's the government and their role in mandating this with, quite frankly, a big stick and hefty fines that they will employ towards some who don't wear masks. More and more states are enforcing these laws that you must wear masks in public places where you can't social distance, and they're doing so uh, at the end of, with the threat that you'll be fined if you don't. I think this is extremely dubious, especially when the verdict is still out as to the effectiveness of masks, especially just a cloth mask. I mean, if you had the N95 mask, the the heavy-duty ones, and you change them every two hours, I suppose that would be very effective. But most people have nothing more than basically a sock covering their face. I'm not sure those are super effective. Um, we, we were told initially almost dismissively by Tony Fauci, who's like the most famous doctor in America now, that face masks would do nothing. I mean, he almost laughed that face masks, they don't do anything. They might make you feel better, 
psychologically, but they don't do anything physically to help you. Um, not only that, the Surgeon General, who's like the Amer- who's like America's doctor, um, said basically the same thing. He, he said, almost laughing at the idea of wearing face masks in order to protect us from COVID-19 or from a virus. But then we were told that we must wear them, that we should wear them. Of course, they, they will help. And then we're told again that we're not to wear them. And now we're told again that we're to wear them. So which is it? Now there's this huge push to wear masks. And remember, this is the loving thing to do. Most recently, in fact, just two days ago, I think, the head of the CDC, Dr. Robert Redfield, said this, quote, if all of us would put on a face covering for the next four to six weeks, we could drive this epidemic to the ground, end quote. Drive this epidemic to the ground? I thought the point at the beginning was to flatten the curve. Remember back in March when everything was shut down across the country? Obviously, some states more than others. But things were shut down and, and, and the economy came to a standstill and many millions of people lost their jobs, all of this. And what was the point? Well, the point was to flatten the curve. We were supposed, we, we were supposed to work together to flatten the curve so that hospitals and first responders weren't overwhelmed with hundreds of thousands or millions of new cases and so forth. Well, guess what? We, the curve was flattened. We survived that. Unfortunately, people have died from this disease, but the curve was flattened. Now, the goal is to drive this virus into the ground? I don't understand. I I don't think that's how viruses work. I, I think they're supposed to run their course, and then we develop herd immunity and so forth. So... These are some, some, some real concerns that I have. And as Christians, you know, we need to understand that we are sons and daughters of God and not slaves of the state. And I'm concerned we are being conditioned to look to the state unquestioningly for what we are to do and how we're to, how, how we're to live and how we're to love our neighbor even. Again, we are children of God, not slaves of the state. We owe the state our submission Right. We, we, we are to submit to governing authorities, but we don't owe the state our unswerving allegiance. In Matthew 22, when asked whether it was lawful to pay taxes to Rome, Jesus took a coin and asked whose inscription was on it. And when the answer came back, Caesar, he said, yeah, you're right. right? Caesar's image is stamped on the coin, so pay taxes, no problem. But then he says, we're, we're to render to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar, which is tax money. But then we are also to render to God that which belongs to God. Now think about this question. What bears God's stamp or inscription or image? Well, you and I do. Human beings made in God's image. So as image bearers of God, purchased by the blood of Jesus, we are to, we are to pay our taxes. We're to give our taxes to Caesar or in, in our case, the American government. But we are not to give ourselves to the government. We're not to give ourselves to the state. We're not to give ourselves to Caesar. We bear God's stamp, not Caesar's. So, would Jesus wear a mask out of love for neighbor? Well, perhaps in some instances. But he would not wear the mask as an insignia or symbol or sign of the state and submission to the state because that would be unlawful for him to do so. We live in a time when the state is grabbing for more power. They're grasping for more and more power. I think that's unmistakable. Uh, I, th- I think it's very clear that that's what's happening. And, uh, and some, some 
who are in power see every crisis as an opportunity for more power. And I believe COVID-19 has been weaponized as a political missile to seize more power. Therefore, as believers in Christ, as those who are to give our unswerving allegiance to Jesus, we need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The next section is the catechesis section. And for centuries, Christians gave themselves to the practice of learning the doctrines of the Christian faith by way of going through catechisms, questions and answers in scripture that would take them systematically through the doctrines of the Christian faith. I think this is a practice that is sorely missing in our day, and we would do well. The church would benefit tremendously. Individuals would ben- and families would benefit, benefit tremendously if we gave ourselves to this practice again. So I'm doing my part to promote it. And so I'm making my way through a more modern catechism called the New City Catechism. It borrows from old ancient uh, creeds and, and statements of faith and puts it together in more modern vernacular. You can download the app for free for your phone, and I would highly suggest you do. Well, since we're in episode number 12, we are on question and answer number 12 as well. Question number 12 is this. What does God require in the ninth and 10th commandments? Answer, ninth, that we do not lie or deceive, but speak the truth in love. Tenth, that we are content, not envying anyone or resenting what God has given them or us. The ninth command is you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, according to Exodus chapter 20, or shorthand, you shall not lie. The positive side of this, telling the truth or speaking, is telling the truth or speaking the truth in love. This is such an important thing for us to remember. We've all heard the little kids rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. But we all have been hurt by words. We all probably have been hurt by false words spoken about us. Much harm is done in our world with words, lying, deceiving, deceitful words. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 18, sums up the sin problem of all humanity. And as it goes through the sin problem, describing people who are under the power of sin, much of the description has to do with our tongues, what we do with our lips, what we do with our mouths, what we do with our speech. James chapter 3 says our tongues are a restless evil. Jesus called the devil the father of lies, and those who belong to him, the devil, will be liars as well. We live in a world that is run through with deceit and lies. But as Christians, forgiven by the blood of Christ and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, we are to love our neighbor by speaking the truth about our neighbor and speaking the truth to our neighbor in love. The 10th commandment is the command, you shall not covet. It's interesting that the second table of the law, which is commands 5 through 10, ends with this command. We know that the whole law of God is summed up in loving God and loving our neighbor. Loving God is laid out for us in commands 1 through 4. Loving our neighbors laid out for us in commands 5 through 10. And so the relevance and importance and practicality of this loving of neighbor is seen in the 10th commandment, you shall not covet. Coveting comes from a heart of envy, 
jealousy at what your neighbor has, whether it's his house or his car or his job or his wife or opportunity or looks or whatever else. But there's the other side of it as well. Envying or coveting what your neighbor has also comes from a heart that is not satisfied and content with all that God is for us in Christ. Hebrews chapter 13 says we are to be free from the love of money because God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Now again, the law is summed up in love. Loving God and loving our neighbor, which Christ has fulfilled for us in perfection, the perfection of his life and his atoning death. But we are also called to fulfill progressively through the strength and power of the Holy Spirit, this command to love our neighbor. And so we love our neighbor by telling the truth and not bearing false witness about him and by not being envious of him and not coveting what he has, but being satisfied for all that God is for us in Christ. The scripture that goes along with question and answer number 12 is James 2.8. It says this, If you really fulfill the, the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Well, in the history section, I want to remind you last week, I said I had one other man I wanted to tell you about who died under the tyrannical reign of the infamous Bloody Mary. But before I tell you about him, I want to ask you a question, and it's this. Have you ever thought about what you would do if you were threatened, like Latimer and Ridley, uh, threatened to be burned at the stake? Would you have strength to stand firm, or would you fold? Have you ever thought about that before? Well, let's look at the story of Thomas Cramer. We're going to come back to that question near the end of the history lesson this morning, but let's look at the life of Thomas Cranmer. Thomas Cramer was a very well-known leader in the Church of England. I have a minor correction from last week's history lesson. Um, it was Thomas Cranmer, not Nicholas Ridley, who is uh, regarded as the primary author of the Common Book of Prayer and the Articles of Religion. Ridley helped Cranmer, but it was Cranmer who spearheaded that effort. Uh, these two books are extremely important books um, as they lay, lay down biblical principles for worship and so forth for the, uh, for the Church of England. Um, well, while Bishops Ra uh, Ridley and, and Latimer were burning at the stake, Cranmer, dressed in rags, still languished in a prison cell. His abusers treated him terribly. They, they scraped his hands and fingers raw, signifying to him that he was no longer a, uh, a minister of the church. But Cranmer refused to deny his faith. He refused to deny his writings. He refused to condemn the Protestant Reformation and so forth. Seeing that, that abuse and torment wasn't working, uh, Thomas Cranmer's persecutors, which happened to be Roman Catholic priests, changed their tactics. They transferred him from a dark, dingy dungeon cell to a comfortable room in a nice home. It was actually the home of a faculty member of, of, uh, at Oxford University. The priest flattered Cranmer and lavished kindness and praise on him, urging him to return to the Roman Catholic Church. They urged him, they said, Dr. Cranmer, just recant, just recant some of your views and you will win the queen's favor and be restored to your position in the church. Sadly, little by little, Cranmer agreed until finally he signed his name to a paper which renounced all his teachings, excuse me, I should say renounced all teachings, not in agreement with the, the Church of Rome, 
and acknowledged the Pope as the supreme leader of the church and apologized for leading people away from the Church of Rome. Well, despite his confession, Bloody Mary, bloodthirsty Mary, insisted he be put to death and sentenced him to be burned at the stake. The location of his execution overflowed with spectators on the day that he was to be burned, who had come to hear Cranmer speak and watch him die. When Cranmer was given an opportunity to speak, something completely unexpected happened. With tears in his eyes and a solemn tone in his voice, he urged the crowd to love one another and care for the poor. And then he said the following, quote, I come to the great thing which troubles my conscience more than anything I ever did in my life. I now renounce the things written with my hand against the truth in my heart. I feared death. I wrote the recantation to save my life. And because my hand has offended, writing against my heart, therefore my hand shall be punished first. For when I come to the fire, it shall be burned first. And as for the Pope, I refuse him as Christ's enemy with all his false doctrines. End quote. Well, the crowd began to erupt in shouts for him to be shut up and burned. They called him a heretic. Guards quickly rushed Thomas Cranmer to the spot where Cranmer's friends and co-laborers, Ridley and Latimer, were killed just a year before, and they lit the kindling. And as the fire began to rise, Cranmer, true to his word, stretched out his right hand and held it in the flames unflinchingly, and eventually Cranmer died in the flames. What a story of God's faithfulness. Faithfulness to keep his own. Thomas Cranmer from making a final shipwreck of his faith and strengthening him to bear witness to Christ with his dying breath. So I go back to my original question. Would you have the courage to suffer being burned at the stake or something like that for your faith in Christ? Well, you might wonder, I don't know. There's something about the story of Thomas Cranmer. I can track with him this, this fear of dying. He, he recanted the truth to save his life. Well, let me tell you, Charles Spurgeon was asked this question. He was asked if he would have the courage to burn at the stake. And his answer is so right on and so helpful. Here's what he said. It's hard for me to say while I'm sitting in this comfortable chair, in this comfortable home, but if the time came for me to burn for my Lord, I am sure he would give the grace for me to do so. We too can have this confidence. If called upon to suffer for our Lord, he will give the grace to do so just when we need it. The Lord is faithful. Thanks again for listening to the Living by Faith podcast. If you found it helpful, please subscribe, like, and share. And until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all.